great to be together this morning. Um, so hopefully you've been tracking with us through the book of Acts, um, and we're we're today in uh, continuing in Acts chapter 14. So you'll know that um, the Apostle Paul takes three missionary journeys um, through the book of Acts, um, really to advance the gospel into southern Europe and southeast southeastern Europe. And so in Acts chapter 13 and 14, which we've been looking at over the past few weeks, we're in his first missionary journey where Paul and Barnabas set sail from Antioch in Syria. Um, they go through Cyprus and they end up in modern day Turkey. And I've, I just want to share a, a map really, which I think is going to help us a bit this morning. Uh, one, because I love maps, sadly. And two, it's just quite helpful, I think, in terms of trying to understand the journey and some of the cities that we're talking about as we go through. And so they set south from Antioch in Syria, go through Cyprus and end up in Turkey, as I said. And every, everywhere they land, uh, Paul and Barnabas kind of head to the synagogue. They preach the gospel. Uh, they see amazing signs and wonders of the kingdom, healing and, and God breaking out. And they see many people come to salvation. And so the gospel spreads rapidly like wildfire in the, in the midst of kind of quite a hostile climate, really. Quite a lot of opposition quite a lot of antagonism towards Paul and Barnabas, um, if you like. And so today we're picking up in uh, chapter 14, uh, starting at verse 19 through to the end of chapter 14 in, in verse 28. So if you've got a Bible, um, feel free to turn there. So chapter 14, verse 19, and you, you can follow on the screen in terms of the map and some of where they go, if you like, if that's helpful for you, just to visualise the kind of journey that they went on. So Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So Paul's in Lystra right now. You see an amazing kind of uh, um, healing take place. Um, and they start treating them like gods, if you like. One of the, Barnabas, in fact, gets called the god Zeus, which is obviously one of the famous Greek gods. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Darbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples in Antioch. Um, so there's two Antiochs. There's Antioch in Pisidia in Turkey and there's Antioch in Syria where they end up. This, this kind of passage starts with this. It's quite a crazy passage, really, when you think about it. So Paul is in Lystra preaching the gospel and he's just nearly been stoned in Antioch and Iconium. And then these, these, kind, of, these kind of Jews, if you like, they, 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 they walk or they journey to Lystra literally for the purpose of, of turning up and causing Paul and Barnabas harm and so Antioch in Pisidia is about 100 miles away so they travel there with the sole intent of causing harm to uh, the Apostle Paul and they drag him out of the city they stir up the crowd they drag him out of the city and they literally stone him 
um, almost to, to death. In fact, some commentators say that he actually did die and God raised him from the dead. But whether he died and God raised him from the dead or whether he was just seriously wounded, God miraculously raises Paul up from either from death or from seeming death. And he raises him up and he revives his soul. And in true Paul-like fashion, he doesn't run away. The first thing he does is goes back into the city of Lystra, where they just tried to stone him to continue preaching the gospel, which, you know, when, when Paul later writes in the book of Philippians to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, here he is modeling that to the to the core, really, that his purpose in life is to live, is to honor Jesus, but to die is gain because he gets to go and be with Jesus. And he's really modeling that and living that out in Lystra. But then he goes on to Darbe and they continue to preach the gospel. Uh, they see many people come to salvation, if you like. And just as I was looking at this map, and something just really struck me about it, which I think is worth taking note and worth just out of interest. Why didn't Paul carry on from Darbe to Tarsus? If you look at the map, Tarsus is kind of the natural next city where Paul could have gone to. In fact, it's the, it's the city where he's from. Um, so it's his hometown. It's a place that hasn't really reached the gospel yet. It's easy to get back to Antioch in Syria from Tarsus. You just hop on a boat and you get over there, if you like. And so it's kind of an odd moment, really, when Paul and Barnabas, these pioneer evangelists um, who are all about, surely, seeing the gospel go to new places, they sort of do a, a U-turn and they go back to the cities where they've been persecuted and they go back to the cities where people have um, come to salvation, if you like. And it just struck me as kind of a kind of unusual, really. Why not carry on and take the gospel to new territories? If that was his main passion, if that's what he'd been called to do, why turn back? On himself and go back through the places he'd just come from and go back to Antioch a slightly different way and it just kind of struck me really and got me thinking well why did he do that what's going on here what's happening but the passage actually gives us um, some really helpful lessons and kind of explains why it is that Paul doesn't continue on to Tarsus or other ways but in fact he goes back on himself to Darbe to Lystra to Iconium to Antioch to Perga before heading back um, to Syria and it really, the clues are really there in verse 22 and 23, which I just want to reread. When they had preached the gospel in Lystra and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Listen to this, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Why do they go back on themselves? To disciple the new believers and to build up the church of Jesus Christ in those cities. Or literally the message, the message puts it like this, which I just love, putting grit in the lives of the disciples, urging them to strength, stick with what they have begun to believe and not quit, making it clear to them that will not be easy. And so what Paul is doing in here Paul and Barnabas is they are literally saying we are returning to these cities to, to disciple and to build up the church of Jesus Christ to, to equip and disciple these new believers to strengthen their souls and their walk with God to call them on in faith the word encourage there literally means to call them on so to call them on to bid them come on guys you need to keep going in the faith and to show them that walking with Jesus is not exactly a walk in the park but it is going to involve trials and tribulations and hardships and so Paul and Barnabas's sole motivation for returning is about discipleship 
of these new believers. It got me. It got me thinking about um, uh, in one one Samuel verse twenty three when when there's this famous story of David and Jonathan, and David's in the wilderness at Horesh. And Jonathan literally gets up from where he is and he goes to the wilderness with the sole purpose of strengthening David's hand in God and reminding him of the promises of God and speaking truth to him and, and loving him and encouraging him in faith. So Paul and Barnabas' sole motivation in this moment is around discipleship and the establishment of the church community so that when Paul and Barnabas have left, the disciple making can continue the church can be established and the mission of God can go on. What we're seeing here in Acts chapter 14, I believe, is not just mission, but we're seeing discipleship in community. I believe what Paul and Barnabas are modelling to us in this passage is, the, is that the gospel doesn't just require uh, evangelism and mission. It requires discipleship in community. You know, God has established the community of the church so that we together can strengthen one another in faith, call one another in God and remind one another in tough trials, in situations that are hard to keep enduring, keep persevering, keep running the race of Jesus Christ. You know, that is Christian discipleship and it's not a solo sport. It's something that we do together in community. We need one another. I believe that is what is that is what kind of Paul and Barnabas are modeling to us in this passage. They're modeling that to the early church. Hey, guys, we're not just going to tell you about Jesus and then we're going to disappear. No, we're going to come back and we're going to strengthen you. We're going to disciple you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to appoint elders in the church here so that the church is strengthened and built up. And this isn't just a one-off pattern of Paul's, actually, in Barnabas. If you look at the end of this passage in chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch in Syria, the first thing that they do is that they encourage, they gather the believers to encourage them, to share stories of God. And then it says they remained with those disciples for a long time, no, no doubt encouraging and strengthening them in faith. And so Paul does it here in, in Lystra, in Iconium, in Antioch, uh, in Pisidia. But then also when, he get, when they get back to... Antioch in Syria the first thing they do is build up the community of God's people disciple the believers so that they're encouraged in faith and if you look at Paul's future missionary journeys he does exactly the same thing he almost always returns to places that he's been before to build up strengthen and encourage the believers and I believe this kind of passage shows us something important about what it looks like to live in Christian community together what Paul and Barnabas are modeling to us they were more zealous for the mission of God than kind of almost anyone throughout all of human history. Paul faced incredible persecution, yet his passion and zeal for the advance of the gospel, for breaking new territories for the gospel, is almost kind of greater than any missionary kind of in, in, in all time. But, but Paul knew and Barnabas knew that Jesus's commission to make disciples of all nations needed more than just one-time commitments. It needed mature followers of Jesus Christ who were strengthened and called on in faith, who could stand the trials and the tribulations and who could live together in the community of the church. I read this the other day about uh, discipleship, which I just thought was wonderful. Maturity in Christ is not about crossing a finishing line, but running a race, a long race, a marathon that includes steep gradients, bends in the road, unexpected detours and moments of surprise, mystery and wonder. Being a disciple of Jesus is an ongoing process, not a one-off event, 
a relationship, not a ritual, a lifelong journey with Jesus, learning to live life his way and being transformed by walking closely beside him on the road. And I believe that Paul and Barnabas were not just passionate about breaking new ground and seeing converts to Jesus, but to ensure that these new followers of Jesus became mature disciples who persevered in their faith and lived in the community of God's people, the church, well together. And the reality is this, discipleship, this process, this lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Jesus requires us to be in community, to, to allowing others to come and strengthen us, to call us on in faith. And I just believe that that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are modelling, both in teaching and in action to this church. That the reason they came back was solely to help them see that discipleship and community exist in the context of mission. Discipleship and community are set of central importance in the context of the mission of God. I think if you had said to the Apostle Paul, hey Paul, hey Paul what do you think is most important, discipleship, mission or community? I think he'd have said, yes please, I'll have all of it. I'll have all three embedded in these wonderful rhythms together. And I think in this two-year window of Paul's missionary journey, where he, where he pioneers new ground, I think we see him on mission. I think we see him equipping disciples. And I think we see him establishing the church of Jesus Christ as he appoints elders in every place that he goes to. Mission, discipleship, community. When we see these three things operating together, we see the church of Jesus Christ in its truest and purest form when we see mission um when we see a hunger and a zeal for the mission of god to break new ground for the kingdom of god to advance in the context of growing as disciples of jesus and living life together as community that's the church i believe jesus has envisaged that's the church i believe he's wanting to establish and build up that's the church as jesus christ i believe knew it that's why his commission wasn't just to go and preach the gospel and to make new converts his commission was to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples of every nation and that's how the gospel would spread and i believe in this passage that's exactly what paul and barnabas are saying we are going to turn around from the mission we're not going to go to tarsus and continue to go to my hometown we're going to turn back on ourselves we're going to go back to the cities where we just come from with the sole aim of strengthening the believers in Jesus Christ, of building them up in faith and of establishing the community of God's people and of the church in those places. You know, that is the privilege of being part of the people of God, that we call one another on, that we stand firm together, that we call, that we say that through trials and tribulations, we've come, but Jesus's grace is going to see you home. And we get to call one another on in the midst of hardship and trials. That's part of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in community, that one to another, we call one another on in faith and say, no, Jesus is with you. Keep running the race with perseverance. Grow in him. Be transformed and changed and shaped by him. What, what's this all got to do with kind of us in Gateway? I kind of hope you see where this might be going. We, you know, we, you've heard us talk a lot over this kind of, over the pandemic that we fundamentally believe that God is doing a kind of major work of renewal in the church, that we're entering a new era in the church that kind of we believe that God has been speaking to us about before the pandemic, but particularly shaking us through the pandemic. And, and, and through it, we've kept on saying that, that we really believe that God is wanting to 
a kind of unlock in us a kind of new missional zeal to see the kingdom of God break out in every area and sector of society in Swindon and beyond that we're wanting to become this kind of outward focused community where we see each one of us released and activated as scattered servants in the places that we find ourselves but I think the other side of the coin which I think we've seen in this passage today is that our need for deep discipleship and the community of the church and the reason it's two sides of the same coin is you can't have one without the other mission and discipleship are interconnected and intertwined mission and discipleship exist together and in this work of renewal that I believe God is doing I believe he wants to birth in us a fresh zeal for mission but also a fresh hunger for discipleship and disciple making as a much higher priority that as a community we see our purpose together as primarily calling one another on in faith and saying come on Jesus has got plans and purposes for your life persevere through the trials and the tribulations and the reality is into this we don't need more programs we don't necessarily need changes of structure what we need is a community that operates around rhythms of mission and discipleship and as I look and I dream about the church of the future, I kind of imagine a church where we burn with zeal, that God puts a fire in our bones for the mission of God and a fire in our bones for disciple making and discipleship, that, that the two go hand in hand and that we live our lives together, calling one another into the mission of God and calling one another to be transformed and changed by Jesus Christ. Mission, community, discipleship. These kind of rhythms of life, I think, is what we crave and long for. And we want to shape ourselves around in the new era as a church. And, and really, as a church, we want to kind of start embarking on this culture shift. Of what does it look like for the rhythms of our community life together to be shaped and centred around mission and discipleship, as we've seen in this passage today? What does it look like that the very essence of our being together as a community is shaped around discipleship and mission and we want to make some changes and we want to kind of restructure how how we might operate in terms of how we think about groups and community life together around some of those things we're going to start sharing some of those in the kind of coming weeks ahead about how we see some of those things but fundamentally as I kind of said earlier disciple making and discipleship isn't really a program or a structure it's one person learning from another person what it means to follow Jesus Christ at its very basic and very simplest, discipleship is not a program. It's me learning from you, you learning from me, one to another, saying, I, I want to show you and teach you what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And I want to call you on in your walk with him. And the reality is that takes each one of us as individuals, like Paul and Barnabas did, who turned around, who returned. It takes a Jonathan kind of character who got up from, the, from where he was and went to the wilderness of Horesh to meet David to intentionally encourage, to intentionally call on in faith, to intentionally strengthen one another and to stand together in tr through trials and tribulations and things like that. And when we start to think like that, we start to think, well, this is what it means to be the church where we're on mission together in community, but we're also sharpening and shaping one another to become more and more like Jesus. And so I recognise when we start talking about language of disciple making, discipleship, it kind of goes, ah, oh, what does that actually mean? What does it actually look like? Well, I want to just invite each one of us to do something very, very simple 
this week because the reality is in God's economy and God's kingdom and God's kingdom small steps of obedience and faith seem to have disproportionately big impacts that he takes our loaves and fishes we were just reading with the kids last night um, the story the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus took this small offering of the boy and he used it to do miraculous things and so I believe that small steps of obedience and faith God takes and he does amazing miraculous things and so I just want to invite us to do one simple thing this week, each one of us, to go to God and to pray and say, God, would you show me one person this week who I can go towards, either face to face, over the phone, whatever it might look like, go towards one person this week and say, I'm, I want to come and I want to strengthen you in faith. I want to come and encourage you to become more like Jesus. I want to come alongside you in trials and tribulations and say, no, through the trials and uncertainties of life, I want to, I want to stand with you. One person, because ultimately a disciple making culture starts with one person going to another person and saying, hey, let me encourage you in the Lord this week. And let's see what God does as one to another when we start to do that. That is discipleship at its most fundamental, like Paul and Barnabas returning to those cities to go and strengthen and encourage the believers and say we are here to strengthen and call you on in faith one simple decision this week one simple act of obedience and watch how god uses it to spark a, a much bigger effect than we can ever ask or imagine that's what god does he takes our humble offerings and he does amazing things with them he takes our small beginnings and he and he just journeys this new and exciting adventure with us and so we're just believing in this new era that mission and discipleship will become the rhythms around how we shape ourselves and how we see community together, just like I believe we've seen in this passage today in Acts chapter 14. So that, that's, kind of, that's kind of where I kind of want to land, really. I'd love to pray for us um, and then kind of hand back to Nigel um, just to kind of lead us in wherever to go next, really. So, Father, I want to thank you for your church. Jesus, I want to thank you for the beauty and the majesty of your people. Lord Jesus, that, Lord, you care so passionately about the people of God. And I just want to pray for everybody listening uh, now on Zoom, but also those that will listen um, when this goes online as well. Lord, I want to pray, would you birth in us once again, a real zeal for the mission of God, for us to see ourselves as uh, those who are scattered servants everywhere, every day in the places that we find ourselves. But God, I also pray that in this new era, we would be defined by a community of disciple makers or a community that sets out, says, no, our, our role is to strengthen and call one another on in faith. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be diligent in that. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't look at it and go, ah, how do we structure ourselves to do this? No, Lord, that we would respond with small steps of obedience and faith. Jesus, we surrender and submit ourselves to you. Lord, we know that, Lord, ultimately, Lord, the marker of church, Lord, in that way, what you're, what you're looking for is disciples. Lord, not just people who say yes once. Lord, you're looking for mature believers in Jesus Christ who will go on to make other disciples of Jesus. And I pray would you fuel in us, in this new era, a passion and a zeal for disciple making in the church. Lord, that you would birth in us a fresh, Lord, a hunger for it. Lord, and we, you take our small offerings Lord, even those that might go, I don't know how to disciple somebody. Well, we, we just come to you with the smallest of offerings. We say, do amazing things with us and do amazing things in it, Lord God. Lord, I pray like Paul and Barnabas that we would be intentional at rising from our place 
Lord, going back somewhere and saying, I've come to strengthen you in the Lord. I've come to encourage you in faith and call you on to the purposes of God in your life. Lord, I ask that we would become a church, Lord, where this is the this is our culture, this is our norm. Lord, that discipleship and mission form the rhythms of our life together as a community. Lord, we ask this for your glory and for the advance of your wonderful gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.